0: Metropolis held no more secrets for us these days. With the time we spent on Superman and Supergirl, we were beginning to think that the pair would never really have anything new to offer us. But just as we came to that conclusion, the ants arrived. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start... to every reversible finish. We've got... Some weird stories that we're doing today for Superman. And we're gonna talk about some of them very specifically, but also some of them that were kind of interestingly well written. Um and I think that's important to note that we've seen we saw a couple well-written stories in this in the year nineteen sixty-three.
1: Yeah, I I think it's it's important because it's such a departure from our past two episodes, because where I felt like I felt the genuinely bad stories here were an aberration instead of closer to the norm. It it felt like we're we're at least trending neutral.
0: Yeah i I found myself getting through some of these a lot better. Yes, the, they they were easier to read. They were more they were more fluid to read. So I, I, it's important, I think, for us to, to say that. Um, mm. You know, it only took them a decade to get good at this.
1: <laughs> I. I think we're even going to have to append that it's not like things are super different overall. It might, it just, it could very well be just this, they just happen to hit a little bit better this block of time.
0: The darts hit the right things on the board. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a good
0: way to put it. And, you know, bully for them. These were, these were more (laughs) enjoyable, honestly. And that's great. Um we're going to start, obviously, these epi- this episode might be a little bit shorter because we're going to be going through these. Um, with Superman n- number 158, January 1963, Happy New Year. Uh, Superman finds Kryptonian men raiding scientific labs in Metropolis across the wor- and across the world, and he tracks them back to their point of origin, which ends up being Candor. And what he finds out when he goes into Kandor with Jimmy Olsen is that there is a scientist there who's found a way to enlarge the citizens from Kandor and has turned the population against Superman because clearly he has not found a way to do this himself and he hasn't saved the city. So the scientist is essentially sowing anti-Superman rhetoric and using the Kandorians to try and get what he needs to make a machine that will enlarge the entire city. While Superman and Jimmy Olsen are there, they are like, you know, persona non grata. Um and being hunted uh and so they have to take on these alter egos of nightwing and Flamebird, which is the first instance of nightwing which is actually where uh dick grayson gets his name for nightwing
1: and that bit's interesting to me because i i certainly knew that piece before i thought it was always like not a retcon per se but that uh it was a justification of, oh, Superman just pulled this like hero of myth out of nowhere that we had never heard before. It was just, oh, this thing that's always been part of my backstory. Uh, now I can introduce it, but I didn't realize that this this predates, yeah, Nightwing, Dick Grayson, and it's it's kind
0: of a neat little little poke for that uh, for the future. Um, so Jimmy and Superman find out that the enlarging ray that the scientist has made uh, actually deteriorates the molecules of the thing that it makes uh, makes larger, and so Superman and Jimmy have to convince the Candorians to remain small just a little longer, lest they be destroyed by this new uh, technology. I don't know why they don't just call the Atom and get that white dwarf star stuff, um, but again, you know, 1960s DC editorial never called me, so... I can't help them with these. Um, we're going to move on from there to Action Comics number two ninety six, January nineteen sixty three. Superman uses red kryptonite to get the properties of an ant to tackle a race of giant ants that are trying to uh, get aid to rebuild their ship so they can get off of Earth uh, before that they find before they find out that the ants are doing this. The ants are taking lots of scientific technology from different locations and metals that they need and. Lois Lane to be their queen for reasons unknown. Um, This issue started out really interesting because at the start of it, they do this really like at least two pages on why ants are cool. In a weird sort of like that they're at a zoo and they're seeing the ant exhibit and Jimmy and Lois and Clark are there and they literally go into like a national geographic. This is why ants, this is how ants see They can smell really well. They can lift this. This is how their social structure is with a queen. And I was like, this is actually really informative and cool. And if this was in more Superman stories, like we would probably
1: see in a Flash or a Green Lantern story, Mm -hmm. I would actually really enjoy this. And it, I may be misremembering, but I think I remember in Action Comics number one, when they were doing the x explanation of superman's powers like one of the things they talked about was like an ant can lift many times its own weight i think that's the case they right? do yeah so yeah, i know they, they that kind of that. resonated a little bit with me
0: yeah they talk about that in like grasshoppers jumping which was explaining yeah, yeah, how, how he could leave yeah. tall buildings in a single bound so they do these insect comparisons and parallels with superman which is just interesting and again yes it kind of rings like magic school bus schoolhouse rock plot to give you information but it was well done and I don't mind it when I see that in those two properties either.
1: So I didn't mind it when I saw this. And it winds up being a little bit of a swerve because there's specific callouts to like the caste system of ants and like the tyranny of the uh, of the queen. And then, well, you'll talk about what it act- what is actually going on here.
0: Yeah, and like I said, the the ants are actually trying to get off of Earth because they are aliens from another planet and they are trying to gather materials to make a spaceship so they can leave. So it's not like they're trying to take over. They're actually trying to leave. And when Superman gets red kryptonite to infect him in a specific way, which was very a a (laughs) purpose of plot moment, where he flies through a cloud of red kryptonite in space thinking really hard about ants and gets an ant face on his body and is then able to communicate with the ants he finds out they're benign and i really actually liked that no one got hurt Mm -hmm. and everyone was just oh you guys need help oh then we'll help you and i thought that was really cool and yeah like you said you you think that this is going to be a story about how they make lois lane their queen and lois is going to get power mad because she's queen of the ants and really they're just like we thought you might come talk to us because you seem to hang out with Lois Lane a lot.
1: <laughs> and it was kind of sad and sweet. One of the kind of recurring themes for me of this batch of stories is that a lot of them don't take the obvious answer. It's not, oh, I can tell exactly what's going to happen from this setup. It. It goes in different directions because the other thing that's going on is these ants are nuclear pacifists. They mm-hmm. are specifically, hey, the the humans of their world, their alien world, uh, annihilated themselves in nuclear war, and so they're basically just going from planet to planet, being like, hey, nuclear war is bad. Look what can happen. Yeah, it was
0: it was a very, it was a very surprisingly good and like era appropriate story. And I was very happy about that. I I remember reading these two issues back to back and going like, wow, that was good. <laughs> like, I really wish these comics were, were more like this. And again, we say good subjectively for the 1960s. Like, they weren't incredibly well-written plot constructions. It was That was a tightly written 12-page story for the 1960s within the confines of the comics code. Good job. Like, really well done with this story. And that was... I I appreciated the last, like this one and the the previous one with the Candorians. It was just well done. Um, And speaking of, we're going to move on to Action Comics number 297, February 1963. This was interesting too. Perry White uh, leaves the office of the Daily Planet to prove that he's still a good journalist and he knows what he's talking about. But in doing so, while tracking down a thief, he gets amnesia and is used by the criminal underworld to see, uh, they basically pretend he's a different journalist who's gone missing and he believes them. And they ask him to find out the identity of Superman to print it in a paper because to show that yeah you know you went missing and you've lost your your credibility you need to to get the a big scoop to prove you're really good and he's like you're right I will and it shows that Perry White is really freaking intelligent and really good at being a reporter and I thought that was really fun because they also pull in every individual Superman has been confused with. In previous action comics and Superman storylines like a wrestler who looked like Superman and they were like, could this guy be Superman? But then Superman and him show up at the same time or a science fiction writer who looks visibly like Superman, but is very like meek or uh, just like different moments where you're like, huh, that's actually really funny that they're pulling from the Superman lore to build up a character and then have superman save him at the end but you've also now learned that perry is really good at what he does and he just doesn't get to use it because he's the editor and i just liked that that was kind of a fun like we don't really get a lot of perry white stories and if we Mm -hmm. do he's always the he's always a masked figure in a scooby-doo situation where at the end perry reveals he was the villain the whole time just to draw out the bad guys yeah we've never seen perry actually have a story about him and this gave us some characterization about him, and it made me go like, wow, that's actually really cool that Perry's good at stuff. Just, again, very surprisingly fun. Didn't do a lot plot-wise, but it was kind of cool and refreshing and different and
1: breaks up the monotony. And the thing that disrupted the status quo didn't happen to Superman. It yeah. wasn't Superman gets brainwashed, which we've seen so many times. Uh, it was... it. Any time when the lens of something weird happening, or more accurately, when, when something weird happens to someone who isn't Superman, that's I'm a little more there for it. It feels yeah. less tired.
0: Exactly. And it's just more refreshing. Um, we're going to move to now Superman number 159, February 1963. This is an entire what-if issue. If you're not familiar with the term of a what-if um, It's literally what it says on the tin. A what-if story is the editors and the writers decided, what if, in this instance, Lois had been sent to Krypton instead of Kal-El being sent to Earth? And what if the Kryptonian sun gave Lois superpowers? It has absolutely no bearing on the plot. It is not an in-canon story. It is just a what-if. And it's a story about uh, Lois Lane being on Krypton in a situation that is very similar to the Kents um, and Clark, um, and she becomes the Supermaid, because uh, we can't call her Superwoman for some reason. Um, and instead of a Superman symbol, she has a picture of planet Earth on her chest, and she has a Lex Luthor female counterpart, and it's just a full mag of three stories with Supermaid. That don't really go anywhere but it just shows that like clark is a very lois like character he's a doctor which is kind of neat um and it doesn't really go anywhere it's just like this is weird and fun but also like why did we have this did you guys run out of ideas
1: <laughs> it, it definitely feels like they are especially for the superman come issues uh, where they have so many uh, pages to play around with, they're doing a lot of what if, a, a lot of, well, let's take this idea and let's kind of explore it and, or at the very least set a story within it. Uh, and who knows if that's, you wonder if that's them chafing up against the fact that the status quo isn't really changing in Superman comics. And it's just, Oh, here is some somewhere where we can actually like play with changing the status quo and seeing what happens i don't know you kind of wonder what's going through their minds
0: yeah i it's one of those situations where we we really wish we had someone from dc editorial from back in the day that we could have we could ask questions of uh action comics number 298 march 1963 lois clark and jimmy all land on a mysterious mountain kingdom after a hot balloon incident which is a weird sentence that i've now said um where all the men are perfect specimens and the queen of this kingdom becomes very infatuated with Clark because of his meekness. Um, Clark has to get them out of the country safely without revealing that he's Superman by basically, and this was the shittiest part, pretending he was so blind without his glasses after pretending to break them that he would need to be led around and cared for day in and day out. And the queen was like, but if you go home, you could get glasses again, right? And he's like, yeah. She's like, I would not, I will not keep you here And keep you in this state of helplessness. I will let you go so you can be safe and healthy. In a very beautiful moment of love from the Queen. And Clark is absolutely just fucking lying to her and tricking her into letting him go. Without just saying like, no. Counterpoint. Mm -hmm. You don't know how she would have reacted as the Queen of a Sovereign Nation when you refuse her when the three of you have no help in this country and you don't know what her temperament is like because you've met her in the first two hours of being there you don't know if she could have gotten mad and thrown you into in a dungeon perfectly reasonable which probably would have happened in this comic had he said no but tricking someone who is really into you into letting you leave is wrong if that is the only moral you take from today's episode it is that (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> and Cal had egged on the queen, the queen's affections, uh, in order to lure out uh, some people who were plotting against her. So it's it's kind of, I want to say double indemnity, but I, I don't think that's actually the thing. But it, it's it feels doubly bad because he has pushed forward on that and then he has to lie his ass wild in order to get out of there. Yeah.
0: nothing is good in this story.
1: Yeah. It's that, it's un- this it, feels extremely pop.
0: Yeah this this was uh, Lois and Lana having a duel to the death for the sake of trying to get Superman to pick one of them. It's unnecessary and it's very extreme. It's very mm-hmm. extra for the sake of being extra. Um, Superman number one sixty, April nineteen sixty three. Clark gets exposed to red kryptonite um, and loses all of his powers. And the underworld catches wind that Superman has no powers and they all trap him. And they try to execute him publicly in front of all the other underworld officials. Um, But before this, while he's trying to find a cure to this specific strain of red kryptonite, Um, he figures out the chemicals with this other professor and then he's kidnapped. And when he's in his cage, when they're about to kill him with poison, he says, can I get a last meal? And they're like, sure. He goes, can I get a lemon vinegar and a bunch of spinach? A pound of cooked spinach. And they're like, Yeah, man, I guess you could. And so they give that to him, and apparently combining all three of them created an antidote for red kryptonite, and then he busts out and arrests all of them. Very strange. (laughs) Also, the image of Superman crushing a lemon into his mouth, drinking two shots of vinegar, and then just absolutely face-first digging into a bowl of spinach is such a weird (laughs) visual. It's it's very strange. Oh, God, that issue was so weird. The second story in Superman yeah. number one's in 160 is also equally as dumb. Uh, Superman invents a plot for all the cops in Metropolis to pretend that they're blind, so a bunch of criminals will come out of hiding, specifically one that is trying to steal nuclear secrets because he's a foreign agent, and they use this blind police force mission to catch them i feel like this is a very roundabout way of getting a bunch of criminals
1: there is the (laughs) there is the good bit of he just keeps catching criminals and tossing them in the air and people are just like he's not going after them they're gonna fall and die what's going on here and eventually you get the reveal of crypto flying through the air just like he's got like a big old wire hanger kind of thing and just catching them as they fly around so there's just this flying there's this flying devil's gulag
0: (laughs) it's so nuts i forgot about that i don't know how i forgot about that but yeah the, the civilians of metropolis are definitely like is superman just killing everyone what's happening even the criminals are like we aren't falling We are just being thrown upwards. (laughs) They're like really terrified. It's it's a very strange issue. Um, Action Comics number 299, April 1963. Superman builds three new robots and he goes to a planet with them to test them out. One of them is very smart. The other one has four tentacle arms made of plastic. And another one has two faces. One on his front of his head and one on the back and the one on the back of his head. Has kryptonite vision because when I build robots to aid me in my crime fighting endeavors, I always build one with the ability to kill me.
1: I mean, in his defense, like half of the antagonists that we've covered in the last little while have been. Kryptonians of some sort, often Kandorians. So
0: you know what? I'll give you that. Or Phantom Zone escapees. Yep, you're 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 right. Okay, I will give you but that But
1: one hundred percent, it is not the best.
0: <laughs> this is this is the in case of emergency, break glass for robot robot. Yeah. Um, while he's on the planet with these three robots, uh, the planet is under attack by some aliens. That their energy shields demagnetize the robots and make them hate Superman. And so he has to fight the three of them to save himself and eventually travels in time to find it's stupid. Moral of the story, he beats three robots that are trying to kill him. It's dumb. It's very stupid and weird and dumb.
1: I think the the one redeeming part of that entire story was the... I'm pretty sure... Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is this one. Uh, how he... That started the issue being told. Oh, LL is going to save your life, and it turns out that clocks uh, showing three p.m. was what would happen because then you have yeah. okay, three o'clock, the hour hand, minute hand.
0: There were two giant clocks on this planet that signified yeah. certain things that would happen there. And yes, at three p.m. in the shape of an L, the three robots are destroyed. It's very weird. Yeah. It, it, it is. Was, it is a long walk for a payoff.
1: Yes, 100%. It is not worth the walk, but it's, well, the walk wasn't as bad as I thought it was in retrospect. Yeah,
0: Yeah, it's just like, well, this was exercise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Superman number 161, May 1963. Uh, This is an interesting one. It's a Superboy story in the Superman issue, um, but it is of the last days of Jonathan and Martha Kent. We finally see how the Kents die, even though they've just been nebulously dead for, I guess, the entire time we've been reading this. We haven't been reading Superboy comics, so we don't know if they've covered the death of the Kents there. Um, But it turns out the Kents die from a disease that they contract opening a box of buried treasure that they find on vacation. And Superman, or Superboy, thinks that they die from eating fruit off of the island when they go back in time to see who buried the treasure. But really, they get killed by the contents of the treasure and it's sad as shit but like why did we why did this need to be the way that
1: they went out <laughs> it's like, bizarrely gimmickish for something like but as yeah. near as i can tell this must be canon at this point
0: at this point yeah um lex luther of superboy timeline tries to save the kent's um Superboy tries to find ways to to save them the legion of superheroes can't do anything um uh, it's very it's very sad and he thinks that it's his fault because he thinks the fruit did it so he's like it's my powers because i took them back in time i will never use my powers again and then he finds out it's the the treasure and he uses his heat vision to like cut like sterilize the treasure so no one can get sick from it again but yeah i guess the kent's died from a from like a centuries-old pirate disease okay weird weird thing to happen to two farmers from kansas but all right um the second story in superman 161 is clark lois and jimmy and perry are invited to be a part of a world war ii movie that they're filming on location and the location is an abandoned island and while they are simulating a uh, sea invasion they actually realize that they're getting actually fired at and superman uh, as clark realizes that there are remnants of an army still on the island I think world war ii is still happening when he finally gets up there he realizes they're aliens who have dressed themselves in the war garb that they have found on the island because they thought they were being attacked and they didn't realize that the movie was happening and when he clears this all up they're like oh oh holy shit we're really sorry we're glad we didn't hit anybody because we couldn't figure out how to use your guns uh, can you help us get home and superman's like yeah sure it I really thought they were going to do the, you know, guy stuck on an island doesn't know World War II is over story. And they kind of completely 180 on, no, they're aliens, and they just don't know what's going on. And I kind of love that, because that would exactly be what happened, where if they found a bunch of guns, and they saw
1: an army, they'd be like, uh, defend yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have to ask, because you read them in the form of reprints, and I read uh, totally legitimate scans of... The original printing. Absolutely. Did they use a bunch of slurs in your version too?
0: No. Oh. oh. Interesting. <laughs> Did they say the J word? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm fairly certain they didn't
1: when I read this. It, Let me double like it's, check. It's a lot. And it's repeated. Uh, and also diversifies. Like the the slurred version of uh, Nipponese uh, oh yeah, that as well
0: <laughs> yeah, I gotta find this yes, the, the aliens are dressed in Japanese soldier uniforms from World War II you can imagine the word we're talking about
1: or don't, because it doesn't it yeah, is it's necessary. really not important. Okay, it's I'm gonna, extremely I'm unimportant
0: <laughs> there must be troops left on this island who cut off from the world don't know that World War II has been over for many years that troops looks oddly weirdly spaced in the lettering <laughs> I'm gonna Probably. guess that that's a that's a J word. Probably. Um, I, would, I don't know if you can look on page four of that issue.
1: Oh, there must be troops left on this island. Cut out or, or yeah. who cut off from the world? Yeah, it was that uh, uh, the the slur was between B and troops. It was just to the left of troops. So they, I'm guessing, they just spaced out troops more.
0: Yeah, troops is much further from the margin of the border of the of the the uh, panel um that's interesting anyway well now we've heard the thing
1: yeah it it's notable for its out-of-placeness because there's on the one hand this is a time where japanese-american relations have been so thoroughly defanged to at least in my understanding of things because i mean a we pretty thoroughly rebuilt japanese uh politics in the image that we wanted because yeah uh, macarthur and the occupation uh and b there was so much of a an external threat that the japanese american alliance has held very strongly uh it just is weird that this is not just revisiting the pacific war which you can kind of understand like absolutely there were the remnants of the japanese army sort of showing up at points it's also the 60s
0: and movies like that were were mm -hmm. in at the time world war ii films were were a thing in the 60s so
1: that also tracks but it's so weird having the slur so casually bandied about right let alone by Superman. Yeah, yeah. And here's the thing.
0: I huh. would have expected that from Hal Jordan. Yes. Or and Steve Trevor. Not.
1: And actually, that's that bit is right on the nose because this would have read 100%. I, I would not have batted more of an eye than usual if that were in early wonder woman like right off the bat there was some extreme anti-japanese racism in world in wonder woman uh wonder woman's debut but also that was shortly before the war started for us
0: anyway moving on from uncomfortable racial slurs um action comics number 300 hey that's a big number uh may 1963 Superman is transported to the future by the Superman Revenge Society, where he is uh, the last person on Earth, because Earth has been dried up by a red sun, so Superman has no powers, and his hair and nails start to grow, because time is spent. Um, He needs to figure out a way to get back in time, so he decides that he's going to go find his Fortress of Solitude. So the planet has commemorated Superman, so he has this robot of Perry White that is his Sam Gamgee? Huh for this yeah and they travel all across the planet all the way up to where the fortress of solitude is superman gets in a tiny rocket that he is that has been left over by Kandor, and powers it with kryptonite and travels into the future Uh, or rather back into the past so he can get home but first he has to shave and clip his nails because if he
1: doesn't he won't be able to do that (laughs) in the present you know i i kind of liked that detail it was just very funny. I really enjoyed that story yeah. because even though it's, it doesn't do anything profoundly surprising beyond the premise. It's, it's a, one of the relatively shorter stories. It's half an issue instead of a full issue. But it really spends time with Superman just brooding on this dead world. And struggling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And on the one hand, for issue 300, it makes sense that it's kind of reflective or about an end point, but also that is not the version of it that I expected. What I kind of would have expected is what we're going to get into later on, but this just is a tonal departure that I really enjoyed.
0: Yeah. Action Comics number 301, June 1963. Superman pretends to kill Clark Kent to protect his identity after he's trapped in a room with Lois Lane and they need to break out of it. Um, He then has to prove his innocence in a court of law. Hey, look. The dumb one. (laughs) This is so stupid. Yep. It was such a... God, he's done everything to protect his identity except kill his secret identity. Good, Good for you, Superman. Superman number 162, July 1963. Another what if story. Candor, uh, essentially, in this fake novel of fantasy, um, calls Superman to task for not doing a certain number of tasks that he says he would have done. They're like, hey, you didn't make us big again, and kryptonite's still a problem, and evil is still running amok. You're bad at this. Do it all in six months or X. It's not really. It's not really explained what Candor is going to do if he doesn't live up to this explanation.
1: It is. I think it actually is spelled out, and it's fucking bizarre, uh, because it's we'll we'll swap pl- one of our best. will swap places with that's you. right. And yeah, which the- first off, if you're going to go to the bother of enlarging somebody, then. Why would you de-enlarge anybody? It's one thing to say, we don't trust you to take care of this anymore, and we demand that you help one of us get big. It's another thing to be like, and you for your as your punishment are going to become small. It's like, the yeah. fuck?
0: You're right. They 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 threaten to trap him in Candor and replace him with another Kryptonian. Um That's strange. Uh yes. but in in response to this, Superman says, Okay, I've made a machine to make myself very smart, and when I'm very smart. I'll figure this out. The machine makes him doubly smart, and it makes him so smart that he turns into two people: Superman Red and Superman Blue, a Superman in a red outfit and a Superman in a blue outfit. Uh, we've seen Superman Red and Blue before due to a red kryptonite thing. They kind of mentioned that in this issue. Um, and both Supermen begin to solve the problems of Kandor. They re-enlarge the planet. They make a gravitational thing that sucks all the green kryptonite in the galaxy into one location and makes it inert and turns it into Krypton. And the Kandorians colonize it. So the Kandorians now have their own new planet. Uh, The Atlanteans are like, hey, we'd like our own planet too. So Superman floods the museum Krypton that he made with Supergirl and gives the Atlanteans that planet. Um, He makes anti-evil rays and turns everyone (laughs) bad on Earth good. (laughs) It's Um, a lot. All the Phantom Zone criminals want to go back to uh, Krypton because they're like, hey, New Krypton exists, and we're all good now because your anti-evil rays hit us. We're just going to go home. Supergirl goes back to New Krypton. And eventually the Superman are like, huh, we've done everything we want to do. Should we get married to somebody? So Superman Red and Superman Blue decide that they're going to get married. Superman Red leaves Earth eventually with Lois Lane to live on New Krypton, calls himself Kal-El. Meanwhile, Superman Blue remains on Earth with Lana Lang. That's the story. Um Superman Red and Superman Blue become a thing in the nineties. Again, I will reiterate this. It is a weird time. The nineties were strange for comics. That's like when Lightning Superman's around.
1: Yeah. Uh, I I thought that was like as part of the uh spin out from Death and Return of Superman.
0: Kinda sorta. It's a thing. Um we will see Superman Red and Blue again. But this was a what if, so who cares? The final story we're going to cover, um, Action Comics number 302, July 1963. Superman pretends to be Perry White to protect him from bad guys who are trying to kill him for an article that he's writing. In the meantime, Perry White escapes his, uh, his safety captivity from the Fortress of Solitude and returns home to find out that everybody thinks that Perry White is Superman. So he starts acting really braggadocious to try and throw the scent onto him so that Superman can go do Superman stuff. And eventually this works and they catch the bad guys, but Perry gets in hot water because Lois and Lana think that Perry has been Superman this whole, t- whole time. So they start getting mad at him and then his, Perry's wife shows up and she scolds him. And it's just kind of super weird and silly. Um, that is the end of our coverage for today. I feel like we've gone into a good portion of what I wanted to talk about in the course of doing these. So I don't really have anything else to say again good to see perry white getting the spotlight a couple times and these were fun these were fun and there were fewer dumb ones that we just wanted to skip through in this batch i think and like we said Mm -hmm. at the beginning this could have just been the right darts at the right part of the board
1: yeah i think in addition to in addition to as you pointed out like we we had sort of gone through everything that you largely wanted to cover. I think also that's doubly true. When we look at the past two episodes that we've done, because we've gone through a lot of Superman stuff and there haven't, there have been changes in how well it executes on stuff, but largely we haven't seen much new. This is fundamentally, they're spinning their wheels in a lot of ways. uh, It feels like, Um, yeah, that being said, there, there are some things that stood out to me, not, I, again, not a huge amount, but there are some things. Let's see. Uh, first off, I think we called this out last time, but just to reiterate, uh, these haven't really been stories about supervillains in basically any sort. Like, we haven't had too many big, like, aliens or supervillains of the classic sort We haven't even had, like, new Phantom Zone villains, uh, which was sort of a mainstay last time. Uh, Those,
0: Those all start to seem to be getting into Supergirl territory. Yeah. Supergirl seems to be getting Luthor and Phantom Zone criminals, and Superman seems to be getting weird feats of impressiveness.
1: Yeah. And I think the... The feats of impressiveness is sort of worth touching on, like those kinds of stories, because by and large, the stories that are in the Superman comics, when when they do what ifs in Superman, generally it it feels like they're exploring the what if, or more precisely, they're exp- they're telling a story set within the what if. Not always, but personally, when I was reading through uh, the uh, Lois Lane on Krypton story, that felt like they were intentionally changing enough stuff there that it wasn't just, oh, what if she was on Krypton? It was, okay, like let's really like, let's use that as a starting point and then flesh out a world around her. Uh, the Kent analogs are, they're not just mild-mannered uh, folks. They are kind of adventurers. They're zookeepers. It—it's not just oh, like let's just mirror this one-to-one. It really felt like hey, let's let's take some time and let's build this interesting space. Uh, uh, L and I don't remember the name. Another LL character who kind of matches Lana uh, Lang Lana. Sorry, what
0: was yeah. that? It's a Lana Lang pastiche.
1: Yeah, but but pastiche is the right word. It's not just L- Lana, because it's also like that character is the more adventurous and exciting one, whereas kal is, oh, he's just the scientist. Uh, I don't know, like there was just enough there in that story that it was like, okay, this they're really trying to do something and not just be like, wouldn't it be cool if What if, uh, as compared to uh, the story that was uh, like the end of Red Superman and Blue Superman, where that entire issue, there's just so many things that they're trying to hit on that it winds up being a story that is just breathlessly, what if... Superman and Superman and Lana and Lois and Jimmy and Lucy all got married at once. What if they solved crime for for everyone and they solved it for the Phantom Zone criminals and Brainiac? It was breathlessly just that what if instead of exploring the what if.
0: It was a very fan fiction series finale. Yes. It was somebody unhappy with a series finale writing in everything that they thought should happen lois and lana should get a superman each yep. jimmy should also get married they're going to have a three-way wedding and superman's going to go back to krypton but he's also going to stay on earth because he likes earth and supergirl's going to get to go back to krypton and no more brainiac and the phantom zone guys are nice now and Candor and Candor has its own planet and lori and the atlanteans get their own planet it was like it was they were ticking off boxes yes in all the weird dangling threads that they had, for the sake
1: of doing it just once, and it felt very monkey's paw for me because last episode I complained about the what if Superman had what fourteen days left to live, and we got that yeah. very. These are the things you choose to do, uh, yeah. And here it's this is that's exactly what I got, and I hated it. Uh, which which is very much a monkey's paw. You're right. One. One of the other things I want to touch on, uh, we talked a little bit about the anti-nuclear uh, war ants. Yes. And it's actually not the only moment of, I can't say nuclear disarmament for reasons I'll get into for a moment, but later on in the uh, the anti-crime, anti-evil uh, story, there's a bit where its it specifically shows the effects of that ray, not just on, oh, like, Criminals, uh, crooks, and uh, super villains and such. It also takes effect on Khrushchev and on Castro, specifically yeah. uh, in the hey. Uh, Khrushchev says, "Hey, we're dumping all the missiles into the ocean. Call Kennedy. Uh, we want to ha- like have full uh, like." Uh, f- UN watchdogs basically come in and certify, "Hey, we've disarmed," and Castro uh, saying, "Hey, like it's let loose all the political prisoners, etc." And the thing that's interesting there mirrors what's interesting about the bug story: the bugs are very specifically not talking about nuclear disarmament; they are talking the the talking points that. Superman sort of echoes in their name on the UN floor is against nuclear war it is not disarmament it is nuclear war is bad which yes (laughs) I don't think anyone disagrees with that statement except maybe Curtis LeMay and fuck him also Douglas MacArthur fuck him too uh it yeah
0: it was a very much like I don't think the u n needed Superman to tell them that this was a bad time,
1: yeah the other but what's fascinating there is so you have the the bugs, which is the relatively toothless nuclear war is bad okay uh and then you have nuclear disarmament that as far as we can see, is only unilateral from the u s s r It is not that it doesn't take the stance that nuclear just having nuclear weapons is bad it is the ussr should not have nuclear weapons and that says something there it it would have been yeah it
0: would have been different had kennedy and khrushchev been in the same panel saying we're going to disarm together but they're yes. deliberately just showing khrushchev
1: yeah i mean there's a there's a great story from uh Reagan's talks with uh, Gorbachev uh, and on the one hand Reagan was absolutely a cold warrior in a lot of ways but he also had this weird streak when it comes to nuclear weapons apparently uh, there was a point in the conversation things weren't necessarily getting anywhere and he just has a moment he says uh, Mr. Premier if the U.S. were attacked by aliens tomorrow would you come to our aid? And Gorbachev says yes, absolutely. And he says, "Well, I feel the same way about you. Great, let's move that now. I feel a lot better. Let's let's talk this through." And apparently, that just like kind of broke a dam, and they were able to do some uh, negotiations as a result. Uh, but we don't get that here. We get the it should the USSR should not have nuclear weapons. Because you can't call into question anything about the US and its military policy, uh, even when it comes to nukes. And this brings me back to ultimately, I don't have a good sense of the nuclear politics of the time writ large i have some of the pieces like i know uh, i'm pretty sure at that point berkeley was a nuclear free zone like you see that sign going around berkeley these days i know that these stories were showing up less than a year after the cuban missile crisis the one with the bugs is january 63 and october 62 is the cuban missile crisis So, But I don't know to what degree people were questioning the politics of mutually assured destruction versus being against one side having missiles. It's just a little bit interesting to see that specific uh, bending over backwards. And to be fair,
0: he does say call Kennedy. Mm -hmm. He does call out that he's going to speak with Kennedy about disarming. That might have been their attempt to say that both of them were. I can see that being used as an argument saying, like, we'll see that Kennedy was... But you didn't have Kennedy saying, reach out to Gorbachev. It was Gorbachev reaching out to Kennedy. Mm-hmm. That's a deliberate decision. Because the fear at the time was Russians having nukes. It is a thing that it in the 60s, that was what we were scared of. So showing that the bad guy, quote unquote, was willing to give up his weapons was more of a gesture that things were good than us giving up our weapons. Because the idea of us having the weapons was because it was a defense. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the thought at the time. So showing that the aggressor that we believed it was, quote-unquote, was giving up his weapons meant that we
1: didn't need them. Mm -hmm. And it's especially interesting in this timing because, like, this is the period of the thaw. Like, that Mm -hmm. is wikipedia's name for this period of uh policies that khrushchev had put in place uh it doesn't last forever like khrushchev loses his position because it isn't it doesn't go the way that the soviet uh leadership wanted but it's especially strange at that time but i get it other than that there were <laughs> there were two things, and one of them starts off as just a factual question. So, John, I want to make sure that I am understanding this properly. If mm. any person, any Kandorian left the bottle and just lived among humans, they would have superpowers, correct?
0: Correct, because they'd be affected by the Yellow
1: Sun radiation. It's not a borrower's type situation where the only place way they could be safe is staying out of the way. And I'm... Like reading one of the stories, uh it just struck me that they were st- they were stuck in the bottle by Brainiac for at least like twenty-five years, more than that probably, before uh they were rescued by Superman. Even then they're they're still in the bottle, but they were especially under hostile control, and that bottle is an emblem of the time that they spent in that fear. I'm just looking at that. and I'm going. So wait, they. There's no reason for them that they should have to have to stay in the bottle. They could go live among humans or build a replica that isn't in a bottle, and they would be perfectly safe. In fact, more
0: safe, more so safe than pretty much anybody else, because you remember Superman has the Superman Emergency Squad, and- which is a bunch of tiny Kandorians dressed like Superman who has superman powers
1: there is no reason for the kandorians to live in the bottle and especially because it's got to be traumatic like you look up and you see the same weird sky that for so long meant you were under well occupation isn't the right word but under control and there are two different ways to go about that the first is a, like, oh, that's an interesting little story of just, why why are they choosing this? It doesn't, it feels like the writers liked the idea of the Bottle City and once Superman got it back, it's like, no, this is the visual touchstone. Yeah. But also, how interesting would it be to have, like, a uh, the comparison that comes to mind is at least the popular conception of the, I, I think it's the Rumspringer that mm-hmm. Amish do of just, hey, Kandorians. One, maybe a Kandorian's got Wanderlust and just wants to go through the world uh, and spend some time with various superheroes uh, or at least superhumans and see just what the world is like. Uh, that would be interesting. I would, I would find that really interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, and yeah, of course the writers like the idea of a bottle city. Everybody likes a terrarium. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. that's all that it is. It's a terrarium. <laughs> And secondly, there's a darker concept here. The idea of a city full of Kryptonian-powered individuals suddenly living with Kryptonian technology on Earth is a massive spike in power imbalance Mm -hmm. for a single nation. Superman could be keeping them in the bottle because unleashing a bunch of superpowered individuals who might not have the best intentions, which we know for a fact there are several Kandorian citizens who are evil, loose on Earth, is actually potentially more dangerous.
1: And he might be keeping them in the bottle
0: for Earth's
1: safety. It feels like there is. A really interesting, maybe not an image series, but uh, an that's interesting a retelling that that's that's a, that's a DC Black Label, yeah.
0: Of and he's not doing it. Like I don't want you people to live here, but clearly there's five Lex Luthers and all of them have the same powers as me living in Candor. I cannot, in good conscience, release your entire city because I can't trust the fact that also you are going to completely fuck up the U.S. economy. Yeah. You were gonna introduce technology to a world that clearly cannot use it right. What if Luthor got his hands on Kryptonian technology? What if any of the Flash's villains?
1: Yeah.
0: Who are technical geniuses in their own right? Like, the idea that Kandor exists in a self-contained situation that cannot affect Earth works for the simple fact that it is a giant plot hole. It is. Yeah. yeah. If Kandor was on Earth the Kryptonians would take over. Why would you live in Cincinnati? You could live in Kandor. You could live, like, especially when we see frequently Kryptonian theme parks or new Krypton neighborhoods or the Kryptonian section of the Superman Museum where people are fascinated by Kryptonian technology. Could you imagine what would happen if a city the size of, I don't know, St. Louis just popped up in the middle of the world and all of that technology was just there? They would have everything anyone wants. They would be able to fund anything because they could sell all their technology because it's probably easily replicable. They have a bunch of animals in Kandor that do not exist on Earth that would completely destroy whatever ecosystem they live in. It would probably destroy Earth in a very strange way. Not like destroy the planet, but human civilization would be irrevocably changed if he allowed Kryptonians to be on the planet even in tiny form because all of them could take on an army. Mm -hmm. So it's very dangerous that if the Kandorians decide that whatever tiny neighborhood they're given on the farmland in Wisconsin, they're allowed to live on because it's basically a reservation. If they don't want it, they can take what they want because they might be tiny, but they're all as strong
1: as Superman. And then he has to fight an army. And we've now established that you can safely enlarge people for up to like two and a half hours before it becomes an issue. (laughs) Yeah,
0: they could conquer an entire
1: country in that time if you enlarge 10 of them. And even if you take the conquering side out of it, even if it's just, we are here and we are trading with you, like that's, I mean, that's Astro City right there, right?
0: yeah well i mean in in beyond that diplomacy has an entire new meaning yeah if your diplomats can't be killed and can't be threatened what do you, like why would Wait, you have oh. anyone else negotiate
1: oh that would be interesting though like if if part of the the deal by which superman makes them available or brings them out into the world is you guys got to be Apolitical isn't the right word, but a national and work with the UN, especially at this period of time where there is that UN push for both peacekeeping, but also especially like UN health organizations, etc. cetera, that I, I am always a fan of applied superpowers. I, it would be interesting to see how that would work.
0: Yeah. But anyway, that was, it is definitely a darkest
1: timeline version of that. Yeah and i think that pretty well covered uh the only other thing is uh i'm gonna beat the i'm gonna beat my drum one more time that superman and legalism have no place in the same story uh there was the one story where superman uh was presumed to have killed clark kent and stood trial and let himself be uh put in prison and gave his word that he wouldn't uh do anything to while well, he was in, he wouldn't leave the jail and as a result had to do some super ventriloquism and some like laser etching on a window to seem as though he was stopping the crooks and it just superman and legalism do not belong in the same story they were dumb yep. it was a dumb thing
0: uh i guess we're moving on to recommendations yeah um We were talking about this before we started recording. I'm going to recommend the movie Ford vs. Ferrari. I know it's a car movie. It's a very interesting story. It is well acted. It's well written. It is worth a watch if you have the opportunity to do it. It's an interesting story about corporate nationalism, corporate identity, and how things like pride can carry a nation.
1: And on my end, I'm pretty sure I didn't recommend this last time, uh, from a certain point of view, is a Star Wars book. I guess they've done one of these for uh, original Star Wars and uh, A New Hope and then Empire Strikes Back. It's just a series of little vignettes told from the perspective of characters who are either like barely on screen or... Uh, little bit parts or are just kind of implied by those movies Uh, for instance austin walker did one about uh, ig88 and dengar Uh, some people there was one that was from the perspective of a wampa uh, one from the perspective of the tauntaun that uh, i think specifically the tauntaun that han rides out uh, th- th- little bits and pieces of and especially right now it feels like those stories are more relevant because a lot of them are especially the f- in the first half of the book uh from the perspective of just members of the rebel alliance and not officers not ranking members just hey here's here's the person who is handling the ion cannons and And thinking about that, just the getting away from the great man style of Star Wars and grounding it in, yeah, this is what a resistance movement would look like. Here's just a bunch of people who are trying to do the right thing and organizing as
0: such. Kind of sounds very um, all quiet on the Western front or for whom the bell tolls. Kind of Mm a, from the perspective of a soldier, not necessarily from the perspective of a hero.
1: Yeah, and even beyond that, like, it's also a, it takes all stripes, because, uh, I think Hank Green has a story in there that is a uh, biologist who just Hmm. helps explain, like, okay, here's what's going on on Hoth, and I need to keep learning this stuff. Interesting. Yeah. And they're all all bite-sized, because it's vignettes.
0: Well, we have one last episode of Superman for a while and then Wonder Woman and then Justice League Woo. and then we can start some new stuff like Doom Patrol and Batman again and Teen Titans yeah and Metal Men, I mean we already started Metal Men but it'll be fun to get back to those those were those were entertaining so thank you all for, for going on this weird Superman journey we, we promise we're almost done and we'll get to some <laughs> new stuff Uh, soon. But uh, we love you all,
1: and have a good night, and we'll talk to you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
0: While the what-ifs and red kryptonite stories filled our brains, we tried to make sense of what Superman was going through. Was this all there was to the big blue Boy Scout these days? fantastic tales of worlds that never were and body-changing escapades that made his powers seem pointless, we decided on one more go in the city of tomorrow. And then we were gone.